As we saw at the Capitol on January 6th, what's truth in news nowadays is seen as a matter of debate rather than something that can be universally defined. And that lack of understanding can have serious consequences. The News Literacy Project is an organization aiming to get people educated in just that. That being teaching people how to assess the news they're consuming, decipher what's trustworthy, and understand why. Dara Worland is the Vice President of Creative Services for the News Literacy Project and the host of their podcast, Is That a Fact? Recently, she penned an op-ed in the San Francisco Chronicle advocating that news literacy education be mandated in schools. Naturally, I wanted to talk to her about it. So we caught up on Zoom last month and talked about how it would work. This is Journalism 101. I'm Alex McNamee. As always, please take your seat. Class is now in session. talk about the issue at hand, which is a big one. You wrote this excellent op-ed in the San Francisco Chronicle um, about the need to teach news literacy in schools. First of all, just base level, um, what does it mean uh, to be news literate? Sure, yeah. So, you know, news literacy is at its most fundamental is the ability to determine the credibility of news and other content. So not just news, but different kinds of information, whether it's misinformation or opinion, and to be able to really separate those different kinds of information from one another. Um, But it also includes really understanding the critical role of the First Amendment in American democracy, uh, understanding, you know, free speech and free press and what that means, and also what some of the limitations are on those freedoms. Um, And then, you know, ultimately being news literate is the foundation of being civically engaged and being able to participate actively in a democracy. And and your piece uh, in the Chronicle came out not long after the insurrection at the Capitol. And and obviously you argue that, you know, the the insurrectionists, you know, that day are are people who, you know, really, truly believed this falsehood about an election that was stolen and that 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 Donald Trump actually won and and. you know, everything related to that. And, and, and so that's a huge motivation behind what happened and why people were so motivated to do that. But, you know, when you see, when you look at pictures and and things like that, you do see, you know, a lot of uh, adults, obviously, um, who were involved in that. Where in other places have you seen, you know, today's youth really be affected and, and be kind of swayed by falsehoods recently? Well, first of all, what we tend to encounter with students is that they don't necessarily follow the news or identify what they're consuming as news on their smartphones, for example. 
Um, and they're also not distinguishing between different kinds of information that are coming through on their social media feeds, for example, if they are on social media. Not all you know, students are, are, are on social media. Um, and you actually have to do some work. We tend to have to do some work to, to teach them what news is and that you know, its primary purpose is to inform. Um, so they may not necessarily be aware that something that they're sharing is a hoax or that it's a conspiracy theory or that it's even a piece of news or, you know, or, a you know, a verified piece of information. Um, so, you know, I mean, as a starting point, that's what we've really got to teach them. And as far as being, I mean, news literacy affects every aspect of our life. So for students particularly, it can affect, um, you know, the information that they're receiving about a school that they might be interested in and the sources that they're consulting about, you know, the college that they're considering applying to. Um, and then, you know, students are often misled by um, hoaxes online that they end up sharing with their friends. I mean, the examples vary from day to day, really. A, a lot of students don't necessarily understand that a meme is not necessarily based on verified information, mm -hmm. or they may not, under, and even if they do understand that, um, they may not understand that um, a meme can be harmful, that, you know, sharing a meme that has unverified information in it could actually potentially spread that misinformation. Um, so, you know, a fundamental component of news literacy is really being able to identify standards, you know, identify the standards-based journalism and fact-based journalism, and also be able to determine you know, what information that's coming across their feed they should trust, share, and act on. So, it, you know, it's not just about what you believe, but also primarily about what you're perpetuating um, inadvertently sometimes by sharing it. it. It's far more complicated now than just, I don't know, when I was in high school and college and it was just uh, reading The Onion, but you knew The Onion was satire. Now it's so much more difficult for kids to be able to tell the difference between let's say satire, real news, uh, you know, fake motivated news by different conspiracies and, and yeah. that sort of thing. Well, I think we all probably have one or several examples of times when we've been fooled by information and sort of had that embarrassing moment of having to uh, backtrack online, for example. I think COVID and, you know, everyone's desire to help their friends and family on social media, you know, has contributed to the spread of a lot of misinformation, including false um, cures or treatments. Um, but, uh, you know, for the example of satire, I mean, I certainly have been fooled by some satirical headlines. And then I think recently, you know, in our country, we're witnessing events that could only be perceived as satire in the past, but are actually happening. So you might see a real headline and think it's satire. Um, you know, I mean, I think in some ways, you know, not that January 6th was funny in any way, but it does, you know, it's it seems like it would be um, fictional that, you know, is such an alternative, the, the, the insurrectionists were acting on such an alternative set of facts than what anyone who's consuming fact-based journalism or standards-based journalism has been consuming, that it seems like it really is an alternate reality or some kind of satirical take on, you know, current politics, but it, it's not, you know, and I think that's what's so scary 
um, and why we ended up doing our podcast series at the News Literacy Project focused on the impact of misinformation on democracy, because it really is starting to have life and death consequences, um, misinformation and disinformation on the lives of everyday people. Um, you know, there were people who participated in that insurrection who were, you know, seriously injured, people who died. Um, and there are people who are dying from some of these false COVID treatments um, or from not believing that it's really uh, as much of a threat as it is, or people who are unwilling to wear masks because um, they're consuming information that's telling them, you know, that that's all overblown. So, you know, I wouldn't have imagined in my lifetime that this kind of misinformation would be so incredibly dominant. And there are times where I really cannot believe the environment that we're living in. Um, but it is directly an impact, uh, you know, it is directly um, an outcome of obviously the internet and social media. So, you, you know, you use the example of not knowing that something is satire. Why wouldn't you know that? It might not be properly labeled. You know, it used to be when you sat down to watch a show or you, uh, opened your newspaper in the morning, everything was really clearly labeled and it was right in front of you. Now everything is being disaggregated. It's being pulled away from its original source and put in a news feed um, as though it's all information sort of created equal. Mm -hmm. And the onus is really on the individual now to do all the footwork that we used to leave to the professionals, right? So we're all having to become in some ways amateur journalists, right? Like we need to know how to fact check. We need to know how to do what's called in academic cir circles lateral reading, right? Which means, okay, I'm reading this in one source. What's another source saying? And what's a third source saying? What's a fourth mm -hmm. source saying, right? So you're you're ultimately fact-checking information against other sources. And you also need to understand, you know, the quality of a source. Um, you know, an anonymous source, for example, you know, depending on why that source decided to remain anonymous or why the journalist is granting that privilege, may be credible and it may not be. Um, but, you know, without having the fundamentals of understanding how information works and how ultimately news gathering works, um, students and, and adults also are at such a tremendous disadvantage and it's impacting us in ways that are truly threatening, you know, the foundation of our democracy. Yeah, so when you talk about bringing this kind of education into schools, it's it's really goes far beyond just some teacher in a class saying this is a true fact, this is false, and this is the source to trust, and this is the source to not trust. It's more about, um, like you're saying, teaching uh, kind of the the basics and how to you know, sort in your mind what's on your social media feed, even though everything's all together and being able to understand what different, uh, you know, even just aspects of journalism are, which what's, you know, obviously kids who are taking journalism classes today are voluntarily learning that information, but most aren't. I think you're getting at the heart of what we consider genuine news literacy education, right? It's not about pointing students toward you know, specific um, sources, right? Like we're not saying read the New York Times or, um, you know, watch Fox News or CNN or, you know, we're, we're absolutely 
uh, news organization agnostic um, and, and educators should be as well. Um, and it's important also to be nonpartisan in you know, the process of teaching news literacy because ultimately the goal is to provide a set of tools, skills, and abilities to students so that they themselves can go out and no matter how our information landscape evolves, uh, no matter how partisan some of the platforms or you know sources that are emerging online are, that they can then judge for themselves, okay, you know, this is really biased to me and I know why this is biased. Um, I can tell because when I look at you know, the sources that they consulted, they're not um, consulting any sources who aren't, you know, from conservative or liberal, you know, uh, think tanks or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's it's ultimately critical thinking mm-hmm. um, and being able to analyze information um, in, a, in a really informed, educated way. I, you know, it's a lot of work. I'm not going to, you know, minimize it, but it's yeah. also work that, you know, if in order to write an essay in school, you need a lot of these skills. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, when I was in school, I went to the library, I pulled out books that were published by, um, you know, authors who had been vetted by those publishers Mm -hmm. and, you know, their information had been fact checked. And, you know, I knew that that was verified information. And, uh, you know, I don't envy students today for the environment that they've inherited, inherited. You know, Mm -hmm. they didn't ask for this situation. Uh, it was sort of thrust upon them, um, and it's a it's a real disservice on our part as you know the adults and educators um, to not provide them with the skills that they need to do this. And you know part of the problem is that a lot of adults don't have these skills, mm-hmm. um, and educators need the tools and resources in order to bring this into their classroom in such a way that it's it's not going to be um, too much of a burden on them. Mm-hmm. And speaking of essays, I mean, I guess. You know, now you could ask two different students to write a research paper about the history of journalism, and you could get two very different perspectives depending on what sources they end up going to and putting in that paper. (laughs) Well, there's nothing wrong with having different perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I would hope that students writing that paper would be able to come up with very different um stories right because a lot of that you know especially if they're writing a persuasive essay you know then we're talking about the opinion zone and you're being selective with your facts um as long as the facts that you're sharing are accurate facts right um but that in itself is an important skill that also requires news literacy um but you know talking about essays you know you'll have um educators or parents who might say don't use wikipedia and it's like well Wikipedia is actually a great source. Do you want to plagiarize from Wikipedia? No. Do you want to take it at face value? (laughs) Absolutely not. But Wikipedia is, um, you know, it is crowdsource written and edited, um, but it's also um, it's also vetted by a series of people and there's sources at the bottom of the content Um, Mm -hmm. and those sources can be excellent primary sources for you to consult and might actually be a better place to start than doing a Google search and clicking on the first thing that comes up in a Google search. Yeah. You know, I mean, part of news literacy also is understanding algorithms and how that's going to affect the information that you see versus the information that I see. So, for example, going back to the essay example you described where two students are coming up with two different papers on the history of journalism, 
let's say they each Google, they each have completely different search histories. One of them is always looking at partisan sites and the other one is, you know, always, uh, you know, consulting credible you know, standards-based journalism. They're going to get different results and, you know, they are probably not going to get a complete picture. And in order to be fully news literate, you have to know that that's that's an uh, that's the case. So it might be actually an interesting exercise to go to a computer in a computer lab. I mean, let's just envision yeah. a world where we can go to a computer lab again <laughs> um, and do the search there and then compare those results to the ones you got on your own computer where, you know, your uh, search history is personalizing the information that you're being presented with. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny because when, when I was in school, high school, college, we weren't allowed to use Wikipedia. You know, it was fully, fully frowned upon, uh, as, as much as any other kind of source that you could find. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, but then, this predates me. I mean, I'm definitely older than you, but, uh, you know, people used to have entire collections of encyclopedias oh, in yeah. their houses, right? And, you know, an encyclopedia isn't a primary source, right? It's ultimately made up of um, selective, you know, selections of information that is coming from other primary sources, but it was considered, you know, a perfectly reasonable way to get information in the past. I think you know, you might have had teachers who were of a generation where they looked much more skeptically at, you know, the digital universe, it, just because so much of the content online today is unver unverified, it's mis misinformation, doesn't mean that it's all that, right? There's mm -hmm. plenty of really good information. You just have to know how to separate the wheat from the chaff. And, and um, that right there is the work. Mm hmm. I grew up with encyclopedias in the house. I'm not, uh, so yeah. I'm not that young. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I mean, they used to, I'm thinking too of like the encyclopedia salespeople that used to go oh. door to door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's really like dating. <laughs> That's okay. So it's, 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 um, absolutely about, um, really teaching kids how to, you know, have the wherewithal to make their own decisions about the things that they are um, consuming. Because on the other end, it is potentially very controversial, isn't it? Because it's a parent saying, I'm sorry, you're going to tell my kid which sources to look at and, and what to believe. Um, because then when you start talking about bringing that into schools, if it's that, then you have a lot of pushback because how politicized this whole industry is now. Yeah, we have had anecdotes, though, of students like there was a high school student uh, in a school in the Los Angeles area who told us this anecdote about how she was at the dinner table with her dad and her dad was talking about a documentary he'd seen. And I, I don't remember if she named the documentary, but she said to him, but dad, like, how do you know that this is factual? What's the source? Who created it? And he was like, what? You know, and that's the kind of conversation we want students having with their parents at the table um, or parents having with their students at the table, you know, and you're not saying like outright, um, you know, don't believe X, Y, Z or only consult, you know, this source or that source. Um, yeah, I mean, then we'd ultimately just be preaching to students. Mm -hmm. um, 
but you know, to have them be asking that question, you know, what's the source? What's the, um, what are the statistics? What are the studies? Were those studies, you know, peer reviewed? Um, you know, was the was the data set large enough? You know, some of this gets into like even science literacy, which can have some overlap with news literacy. But you know, really being able to apply a lens um, through which you look at everything, including like your uh, the medical care that you receive, you know, the the information that you're believing about the pandemic, um, you know, and what you're believing about the election. Then when you get it into schools, the question becomes who decides who teaches this news literacy to the, the kids, the students? And is it a journalism teacher? Is it somebody with a totally different background and, and skill set altogether? How do you see it? Well, so right now, news literacy education is not mandated um, right. as a, you know, as a distinct um, uh, course, it's right. not, it doesn't have like a, a list of standards um, or outcomes that teachers are ultimately uh, required or even encouraged to pursue. But um, then what we've found in creating curriculum for news literacy for teachers is that there's so much overlap with, for example, ELA classes, certainly social studies, uh, journalism educators, librarians, you know, uh, or digital media specialists, depending on what they're called in the school. Um, and even uh, science educators. Um, so we profiled the student, uh, we profiled the teacher on our website who um, taught science. And, you know, because there's so much skepticism about science right now and experts in general are being questioned, um, that news literacy can really be applied in any subject. You know, I look forward to the day when a math educator comes to us and says, you know, he or she is looking to incorporate news literacy in their classroom, because I really don't think that there is a classroom where it doesn't apply. Um, you know, obviously, it fits really well into government classes. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, the, the problem is that and this is something I get at in the op ed is that uh, news literacy education, civics education is not necessarily right. mandated, right? So I mean, it's it's a real patchwork across the country of you know just how much civics education is mandated, um, whether it's actually civics education or it's really just social studies, um, mm -hmm. you know. And there's actually only a small handful of states across the country, I think, um, where it's uh, where that mandate is uh, implemented to the degree that civics education is now part of this you know, the, te the testing for that grade level. So, so, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's the issue. And then on top of that, because there are no standards for news literacy education, um, even if there were a mandate, which we would absolutely support at the news literacy project, because I think it would ultimately make it easier for any educator who wants to bring news literacy into their classroom to do so. Because I mean, the reality is educators are dealing with incredibly packed agendas as far as what they need to teach students and particularly making sure that those students are getting what they need for the state tests. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, even if it were mandated without standards, 
um, and some kind of resources and professional development for educators to then bring that into the classrooms, um, it would be completely ineffective. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, at the News Literacy Project, we're actually in the process of developing those standards and outcomes. Um, and actually, it's not work that we necessarily are starting from the ground up. So if you're familiar with the Checkology Virtual Classroom, mm -hmm. which is a browser-based online learning platform that contains uh, 13 different, actually, I think it's 14 now, 14 news literacy lessons in a variety of different areas, and then you know, a, a variety of other activities and exercises and resources. Um, ultimately lays the groundwork for what those standards would be and what the outcomes, uh, the desired outcomes would be. Um, and then in addition to that, if you look at uh, the Checkology website, you can see we've actually mapped state standards and the uh, common core standards mm. against like individual states because they're all different. Um, although there's obviously a lot of overlap, we've mapped them against each of the Czechology lessons to show which ELA standards of that state, which social studies standards of that state are addressed um, in a particular lesson. And they're all covered, you know, across the board for middle school and high school, particularly ELA and social studies. And, and you, do, you do make the connection to uh, civics education in, in this piece. Um, yeah. Can you can you talk briefly just about the the history of, of civics education? Because I mean, to me, it I think presented itself when I was in school as U.S. government classes, maybe a, a constitution classes. But like you said, I, I don't think it was required necessarily. It's not something that's that's mandated. Um, yeah. So how how did that look in the past? And and it sounds like you see it as a guide for for how you it could be. News literacy could be mandated in, in schools as well. Well, first of all, I'm not an expert in yeah, the yeah. history of civics education in the country, but I can tell you, like, as far as, you know, how it connects to news literacy, um, you know, mm -hmm. civics education used to be a fundamental part of public school education. So, you know, going back a generation, maybe a generation and a half, you know, you'd have you'd have had a series or at least one civics class where you would emerge, uh, you know, knowing the branches of U.S. government and, you know, other aspects of democracy, American democracy that will serve you as an engaged citizen. It's been drastically deprioritized over the past generation or so for a variety of different reasons. And, you know, I think that and this is, you know, what prompted the op-ed, the events of January 6 are I don't think it would be overstating it to say that there's a direct link mm -hmm. that people who do not understand how American democracy is designed to function um, and, you know, the checks and balances that are in place uh, to help it function that way, um, then you're not going to be able to have faith in the democratic process that ultimately provides the backbone of our government. Um, that's an incredibly dangerous position for us mm -hmm. to be in. It's not that we're actually at a point where we're disagreeing about the solution to a problem we all agree we have. We're not even agreeing on the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we can't even. So, I mean, coming up with solutions is so far down the line that it's impossible to imagine a future without a better grounding uh, for Americans in news literacy and civics education. Um, 
So like where, so I guess my answer is civics, education, and news literacy are just inextricably linked, right? Um, You can't have one without the other. Um, And, you know, any civics state standards that are developed, we think should include um, news literacy standards. Um, and that the two should ultimately be go, you know, go together because mm-hmm. news literacy is so foundational to it. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think it bears repeating that, you know, people can't effectively engage or participate in the democratic process without the ability to sort fact from fiction in news and information. And that is ultimately what news literacy is. So you can know about how the government functions, but then not believe any of the information or distrust uh, journalists so much um, that you are unwilling to believe information uh, that that knowledge of the government functioning is not going to help you. It feels like elements of civics uh, education have just kind of been folded and layered into, you know, the umbrella of like a, a generic social studies class or something like that, but but not emphasized. And it's tough because. Um, as far as news literacy, you know, so many, you know, people of a certain age at this point maybe have just kind of been lost to it. Um, you know, where can you start to bring that in? Do you, do you start teaching people in high schools? Do you go earlier and start them in their middle school years and their elementary school years? Or, or where do you imagine it needing to begin? Well, yeah, effective? as far as our experience is concerned, news literacy can be applied is probably most effectively applied starting in middle school. Mm. Um, in high school, obviously, you're going to have a much uh, greater ability, a cognitive ability to grasp certain concepts. Um, the way we design Czechology is all of the all of the lessons, any of the lessons, can be done by a middle school student or a high school student, and often it's actually been applied in college classes as well. Um, but the scaffolding required from the educator might be different. Um, we've also identified on Czechology, you know, degrees of difficulty of specific lessons. Um, but in my experience with NLP, we've uh, also taught, I think, as young as fifth graders. Um, but I, I think, you know, middle school, and that's what we would say is, is a pretty good age to start. Doesn't necessarily have to wait for high school. And I, I would say that applies to civics education as well as news literacy. Mm-hmm. It's a really important subject. Um, Dara, thank you for meeting with me to, to talk about it. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Alex. I appreciate your interest in the topic. Journalism 101 is a production of School Newspapers Online. The music from this episode comes from Pixabay. My interview with Dara was recorded via Zoom, edited on Audacity, and uploaded for your listening pleasure using Anchor FM. You can listen to more episodes of the podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please rate and review us so more journalism aficionados can hear these valuable conversations. We'll talk to you next time.